and welcome to the Line Break Podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Sikora. Hey, Chris. Hey, Bob. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Good. You know, I'm having a pretty good day. I, Hell yeah. I played basketball last weekend. Oh, that's right. I heard. Yeah. I heard you were on fire, too. I I don't want to use the word dominated because I was playing on <laughs> one leg, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, I was also I was guarding Rafi, who openly admitted to being hungover and not wanting to run. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that does help. So I was like, "Cool, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna run too much." But um, but yeah, the shot was falling inside nice. and out. Very nice. Yeah, you, you can still do post moves with one ankle. Um, so, <laughs> um, every every pick and roll though was I'm passing. I'm not I'm not driving. I'm not pulling up for a shot. <laughs> I'm passing. That's absolutely fair. But <laughs> first, you, you were... first game for me since uh, Kansas City, since your house. Holy smokes! That's like two years ago, I think. I think it's, is it two or is it one? One year ago. Yeah, that's right. One year ago. Thank goodness that's not two years ago. That would have made me upset. Yeah. I mean, we're we're post COVID. We're we're in COVID, so time doesn't matter. Um, right. Right. There's a there's a pre-COVID world and a post-COVID world, and we're in we're in the one where where it's it's always 2020 where we are. Uh, incredibly bleak. <laughs> <laughs> is the title of this episode in the bleak with midwinter? Uh, might be. It might be. I mean, we started off so cheery, and then we. <laughs> I know, into the, yeah, we didn't the reality yeah. of our contemporary existence. Um, no, but I mean, that's uh, I don't know about there, but it's it's like nice December, like it's not great outside, but like it's December. I'm wrapping up the semester, I'm not down about it. The weather, or the fact that it's December, or the year's ending. Um, a lot of good vibes here, despite nice, despite, despite. Yeah, you feeling good about the uh, the old year end list? Do you do that? A year end list. Yeah. Which year end list? Like I, do, I, I keep um, like I keep notes on my computer. I don't public publicize or anything. Right. Sure. I on my blog, but like of um, stuff I read this year, um, and I I do do like a, a roundup of what I wrote this year just to mm, do what I, I did. should do something like that. Get a couple extra extra sweet hits, you know. Right. Right. I mean, because I've been good at keeping track of like what I read. Every year for a couple of years now. For so long, I just like didn't do anything like that. Um, yeah, I started in like 2019. And right. Yeah. But um, I, I was thinking how I, I'm always just jealous of like you know anyone can plop out a best music of the year list um, because it's such a like passive thing to take in, you know. Um, right. Whereas like that, the idea that anyone—I mean, certainly I know I couldn't—but the idea that anyone could like read enough poetry collection or enough contemporary poetry collections in a given year to say like, these are the best poetry collections of 2022 oh, yeah. boggles my mind. So I've been thinking about like, uh, can I like come up with a list of the best, like my favorite collections I've read in like the last like five years or something I think would be satisfying oh, cool. for me. You know, like yeah. that's like enough time where it's like, I've read stuff. I've had enough time to like catch up on something. If I thought maybe I really had to read it. Um, recognizes how much I've missed because I'm sure I have. Um, but yeah, that, that list has been like rattling around my head lately. Yeah. 
we're going to read some from that list today. Look at hey, that transition. <laughs> check it out. Wow. Well, on that oh. segue, um, I shouldn't even ask if you have a poem because you just told me you have a poem. <laughs> I have a poem. All right. Um, yeah, as I, as I told you when we were kind of getting ready for the season, I was like, I've, I've done a lot of reading. I really can just like pull from some of the books that I've read over the past six months or so. Um, and last time I was, you know, kind of not by surprise, uh, you know, so taken by, by Nor Hindi's book, um, that I want to do a poem from that book. But I, I also, as I was going through, I realized that I haven't had a chance on air to like yammer on and on about how much I absolutely love, um, Diane Seuss's, uh, Frank, Frank sonnets, Frank's colon sonnets that, you know, I am far from the early, early people to praise this book, but, um, holy shit. What a book. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was excited today when, uh, when you brought up Diane Seuss cause, um, you brought a poem I've heard, a, a, a poet I've heard of. <laughs> not, not that I don't love discovering new poets. Like you're, you're probably my primary source for discovering new poets. But, um, uh, when you, when you sent, when you sent her poem over, I was like, I know, I know, I know this one. I know this right. one. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm also very ex- incredibly behind on her. You know, she's been around for a while, you know, doing good work for a while, but I think, you know, winning the Pulitzer puts you over the edge and now people yeah. are kind of thing. And I should say for the record, heard of her before the Pulitzer. Thank you very right. much. Right. <laughs> but, right. But yeah, I feel like yeah, I had, the Pulitzer will get you a few readers. <laughs> I feel like I had gotten this book from the library and then like three weeks later she won it. And I was like, Oh, I mean like I'm right before that, but I'm still like so late to the curve here, you know? That's that fine. feels like the time. I feel like I remember that hat. Like I think I saw on your Instagram you were reading her, and then then yeah. like the next time I heard her name was the Pulitzer. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't express enough. I'm excited to reread it. So that was a library copy. I need to buy a copy because I, I love the book so much. I'm gonna have a really hard time expressing why I love it, but that's pretty common. But you know, one of those I, we talked about this on another occasion, semi recently. Of one of the things that I've been kind of searching for and thinking about with poems is like, what does make something a little bit more immediate? Um, I've been more attracted um, to that lately. I think I've read some collections and some work and been impressed with the poetry, but not having that like immediate sense of like satisfaction or excitement or joy. Um, Yeah. And that's something that I got from this, you know, a whole realm of kind of, emotions but they all felt like really immediate and present in a really exciting way um for sure i'm gonna talk plenty about that i think i'm excited to talk about that yeah let's <laughs> let's read the poem let's do it. all righty uh none of the poems in this book have traditional titles i think like in the back you know it has like the list of first lines they're all sonnets <laughs> we're sure gonna have to talk about sonnets um and what that means um but anywho without any further rambling I hope when it happens, I have time to say, oh, so this is how it is happening. Unlike Frank, hit by a jeep on Fire Island, but not like Dad, who knew too long. Six goddamn years in a young man's life, so long it made a sweet guy sarcastic. I want enough time to say, oh, so this is how I'll go, and smirk at that last rhyme. I rhymed at times because I wanted to make something pretty, especially for Michael, 
who liked pretty things, soft and small things, who cried into a white towel when I hurt myself. When it happens, I don't want to be afraid. I want to be curious. Was Michael curious? I'm afraid by then he was only sad. He had no money left and was living on green oranges, had kissed all his friends goodbye. I kiss lips that kiss Frank's lips, though not for me a willing kiss. I willingly kiss lips that kissed Howard's deathbed lips. I happily kiss lips that kiss lips that kiss Basquiat's lips. I know a man who said he kissed lips that kissed lips that kissed lips that kissed lips that kissed Whitman's lips. Who will say of me, I kissed her? Who will say of me, I kissed someone who kissed her? Or I kissed someone who kissed someone who kissed someone who kissed her? <laughs> what a poem. Um, <laughs> have you ever read um, the book uh, Meteoric Flowers by Elizabeth Willis? I have not. We read it in one of one of Josh's workshops in college, but they're they're all um, they're all short poems about this size. And someone in class was just like the the title of this book is perfect. All these poems are like little flowers with like the power of meteors. And I was and I was like that's that's gonna stick with me. Like yeah, as soon sure. as I heard it, I was like, yep, that's just written on my brain now. And this poem feels like a meteoric flower. Uh, this is Oof. yeah. I love that. Uh, I love that. I had a really hard time choosing like anything. Like I took a bunch of uh, pictures of poems from the book, you know, and just like they all stood by me as like, God, that one's so good. God, that one's so good. Um, One of those books where like all the poems, not not many like super stand out. They're just all bangers. Right. Or, you know, like I'm a, I'm a dog ear folder and it's one where it's like thank goodness this wasn't my actual copy of the book because it would have been every page you know and like meaningless kind of yeah (laughs) marking of the poems yeah well let's let's get into it um i we've kind of kind of kind of done why this poem a little bit but yeah why this poem um since 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 all all the book is since the book just washes over you with great poems why this one when we finally decided yesterday i think it felt like such a Bob poem among all our stuff, you know. This poem has the word "kissed" in it like twenty times. Like, of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be all about that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and just it, yeah. I think it captures some of the energy in the book that's that's so excited me. Um, you know, she. We, Frank O'Hara is you know explicitly in this poem and the book I. Like, I, I don't know how to read the title Frank Sonnets any other way than, like, alluding to Frank O'Hara. He is brought up very early on in the book, but it's not, like, about him necessarily. I think she's clearly playing in his wheelhouse and in his, his style of writing. So that's, like, hanging over the whole book. But I, I like that it was one that he was explicitly in there. Because this one, I think, does, like, we've talked about it so many times. It has that that sense of of urgency and like fluidness and um it feels you know spontaneous and unplanned but it's actually you know probably really really crafted um yeah it does yeah. it does everything that i love about a poem that's that's where we are yeah yeah the uh, all it tick, ticks all the boxes of stuff that that you and i definitely share a love for which yeah like the the 
the sort of ease of reading the 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 movement on the page that the just yeah. it kind of you just you just zip through the poem but it, it's it's still very intentional kind of thing right um and, rules yeah That's it's great right. it, it's awesome <laughs> um yeah one thing i, I want to highlight i was reading um zach schomberg last night just because i uh <laughs> i got stuck upstairs with the kid and it was the only book that was near me. So I was, um, I was reading and, um, there was something about like a turn of phrase he had that I was just like, see now this, this would have taken me like three lines to get to, but it feels like a casual <laughs> thing. It feels like it's, it's casual and conversational and stuff like that. She does it here with, um, right there in the first line with, I, I hope when it happens, I have time to say, Oh, so this is how it's, it, it is happening. Yeah. I think maybe it's the no comma and no quotation marks between say and O, but mm-hmm. it just like, it flows so naturally both on the page as you're reading and like out loud as you're reading, like it, it yeah. feels like conversational, but also just like looks perfect on the, on the page. looks like, I guess without punctuation, it looks more like thought. Maybe that's what I like about sure. not having punctuation in poetry. Right. Um, maybe that's it. I don't know. We'll probably never answer, but you know, maybe <laughs> it just, it feels more like it looks more like thought. It looks more like, your Frank O'Hara back of the napkin on the lunch break poem kind of thing. Right. Um, I love that expression you just said of, you know, it would take me, the poet doing something in one line that would take you three. I'm immediately thinking of student poems right now. I mean, I certainly I could say this in my own work, but I'm thinking of some, some poems from students that I read this semester were like, that's exactly what I wanted to say to them. It's like, why did it take so long to say this thing? Right? Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a good thought. There's a good image. There's something working there. But... It's just like this, like lo- it's a slog to get through, um, and there's you know, there's none of that here. Uh, you know, uh, I get grossed out when I want to say like, oh, the it's the economical poem. It's so efficient, um, but it right. is. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and it, 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 yeah, and it's 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 like cooking down a um, like cooking down a, a stock until it's or, or, or a, uh, like making a pan sauce. You know, like cooking yeah, down the yeah. sauce until it's like. It goes from from water to sauce, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's such a better metaphor. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't take total credit. Um, That's how Miles Gray on Daily Zeitgeist describes the uh, Republican Party (laughs) post-Trump. They always always had the racists and the sexists and the Christo-fascists and stuff like that, but they've cooked the entire party down to where it's just a thick stew (laughs) of fascists. (laughs) So, but I think it works for poetry too. <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't 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 realize that's what this poem would take. <laughs> it didn't mean to use 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 the use the broth to stock or, or pan sauce metaphor. Um, uh, 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 you want, but but I, I, I need to credit it. That's um, fair. That's fair. But yeah, the, uh, the yeah, taking taking one line to say what others would would uh, would take three is mm-hmm. yeah the 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 goal of poetry and this that's the I feel like the lifelong struggle. That's the right. Uh, it's like how you have to stretch into your eighties, you know, like Oof. keep your muscle limber and stuff. Like Oof. you always have to be economical in poetry. You're right. You're never going to figure that out right away, or possibly ever. Or possibly <laughs> to keep going back to some some bleakness. God, it drives me crazy. This is just an aside. It drives me crazy when uh, poets with book published with books published say, mm-hmm. "I don't know if I'm ever finished with a poem." It's like, well, you published a book. <laughs> <laughs> 
You put a stamp on it somewhere. Yeah, I want to argue for them, I, but I, also... <laughs> I like, also and I understand really what they're saying. Like, who knows if it's finished or not. But, like, you know, I, I understand it. I get it. I get it. I always get it. But as an unpublished poet... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <it's> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's, that's an aside. Neither here nor there. Um, uh, uh, try to keep pet peeves out of this podcast. Um, that's not true. Why do we have a podcast yeah, and not for airing love, pet peeves? We love pet peeves. Bring us back to the poem. What's the move? What's the what's going on? What's the move? I just realized probably about two minutes ago that I didn't know what I was going to say for that answer. Um, oh, awesome. <laughs> I'm better um, without an outline. Better without. I'm not better without an outline. <laughs> I think for me, what I've kind of thought about is. There's a weird, again, with the movement and kind of the way this poem, like, distills its ideas, it feels so heavy at the top, right? Um, You know, she's talking about death and this desire to be aware that you're dying when you're dying. Um, She doesn't want it to be sudden, um, like Frank O'Hara's tragic death. Um, It takes it down to this kind of thinking of her friend, Michael, who, you know, apparently was in pretty dire kind of situation as he was dying. And what I guess I'm going to say is the turn as is the, the line that starts with had kissed. Um, and that sure, makes that's sense. When we get into the, the kissed in Afra. Right. And that makes sense for the sonnet form. So if I'm reading my lines, right. So that's eight lines, then a turn at the sixth line. Yes, that's the last six, yeah. Right. Um, so the Italian style, um, although this, you know, is, is avoiding so many uh, sonnet expectations. Right. But I, I love the way that turn and the way the enough for the repetition is about kissing and this idea of, like, kiss, like who kissed who and, uh, you know, like this... almost tradition is the word I want to use. It's not quite. Um, But there's something about it that, like, seems playful and silly. You know, that... Yeah, it's very very middle school. Right. That term... That term... As an elegy for people's lives, you know? Right. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I'm getting at, is that turn... You know, it's it's electric. It's it's so much repetition, and it's... Again, it's almost, like, seemingly silly idea that is all coming back and winding to, you know, this idea of like, will anyone say that they kiss someone who kissed me? It comes back to this idea of, you know, will anyone remember me? Will anyone care about me? Um, so I, I just love that like sweep of the poem, you know, and the seemingly kind of less serious gesture that really does just like open up what could be the crux of so much of poetry? You know, right. Does anyone give a damn about me? <laughs> Will any right. of this matter? It just, yeah, for me, that was such a, uh, again, it's a motion thing. It's an, a movement thing. It's a like tug of my whole experiences. I'm reading of this started out so heavy for me. And then the turn was just like so effective and clear and exciting and then surprised me. You know, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, it, it is a heavy poem, but it, I, I didn't get that until you started saying it, but it really is. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I mean, yeah, like, we, you, you know from the first line that it's about death. You know, I mean, 
if you know what happened to Frank O'Hara, the second line makes sense to you. But like, and, and then the the that turn, that last six is explicitly about wanting the, you know, wanting the will someone tell stories about about me after I died kind yeah. of thing happening. It's all right there, but I think it's so silly. Like, it's not sex; it's kissing, and it's yeah. it's not even like making out or hooking up. It's it's just like. It's I'm picturing spin the bottle like you know like but over the course of a <laughs> lifetime, <laughs> and and it's it's so silly but also so desperately longing, um, mm-hmm. in a way that's really affected because it, it disarms me from thinking about the heaviness of death. Um, yeah, it, it's it, exactly. It, it does not make me think of anyone involved in this last six lines not being here anymore. Right. Um, it 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 makes me think of anyone involved in the last six lines doing a very alive thing. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it, it's one of those things that just, just works exactly right. Absolutely. I mean, so, so part of kind of implied with the move here, um, obviously again, like the, the turn is what excites me. But part of what makes that turn work so much is this repetition. Kiss the lips that kissed, kissed her lips that kissed the lips that kissed the lips. There's, I, I think it's like a pretty simple thing that I want to, I don't know, I, I guess I've just like thought in the past before about other poems that do something like this, that it feels like a really kind of like fragile line of this this, this abundance in poetry um, mm-hmm. where like how much can you like slather on of, of the repetition or of like a, a simple or seemingly silly idea and still have it work, you know, yeah. um, still have it be exciting. Um, I have like another poem that I like the ghost. Of the poem is in my head. I cannot remember what the hell I'm trying to, to point to. Um, but is I it one of mine. Cause this is a big crutch for me. <laughs> it's not one of yours. I know it's one of my poems I'm thinking of for that. Um, it's a Kava poem that I'm thinking of that does something similar, but, uh, I love it. And it's, again, it's a, it's a mystery that's like so hard to, kind of like tie down of, you know, how many times would she have to have said, you know, kissed for it to like no longer be interesting or exciting? How long could she have gone with it? You know, part of, again, we're talking about a poem that works in the sense of economy, but it also is this like pouring out of that phrase and that line and that idea and creating this like genealogy of who's kissed who. Um, it's yeah when uh, you use an afro like that it's like it it is like to be like it is abundance it is like street corner like preaching type stuff you know it's 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 ginsburg running up walls while he's doing howl and like you know it it's all that stuff but she does it all in just six lines it's like really Mm -hmm. yeah the 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 compactness but also i don't know yeah it it works it's it's hard to know how much is too much and how much is too little right uh because if it's too little well like it feels like you you gave up and if it's too much then it feels like you're 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 using it because you don't have anything else to say right but, i mean this is this is perfect I, I i guess the built-in constraint of if this was in her head when it, when she was writing it i'd be surprised if it wasn't the built-in constraint of having it be like this these are the last six lines i'll use the anaphora right right that's one of the things I feel bad talking about this book is I, I have not done my like studies on it. I don't know. I haven't, I feel like there's gotta be an interview where she talks a little bit more about this book and how it came about, you know, cause it was so clearly of like, I'm going to write a bunch of sonnets. Um, they're going to be 
American sonnet, for lack of a better word, you know, where sure. they're, they're not following many of the constraints except for the 14 lines and the turn. Um, and, you know, there's probably some even there where I'd say, like, even identifying a turn is difficult. Um, yeah. And I know we have some uh, friends of the show, if not actual listeners of the show, uh, on Twitter who would be, you know, mad about, like, what is a sonnet then um, if you take off all the constraints? Um, but I'm very pleased and excited about it all. Is what I'm oh, saying. Oh, me too. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you're never going to get me to say anything anti-American sonnet or um, anti-anaphora or <laughs> this is this is all this is all stuff that that, that gets me excited. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, let's let's zoom out. Let's uh, let's say what's uh, what's going on beyond the poem for you. Go beyond the page. Yeah, um, a similar one where. <laughs> I feel like everything I have to say about this poem is so all tied up into it, each other. You know, part of me was just thrilled with that ending sort of like kissing lineage. Um, I have heard the same essential, essentially the same story about people who can track back uh, more than just kissing uh, to both Frank O'Hara and Walt Whitman. Um, and it's you know, like just conceptually, it's just like an incredible thing. I, you know, who knows who's being honest in that, in those possible conversations. And it's also, it's, you know, kind of a crude conversation, but, um, I was just like, so tickled to see it in a poem. And then I guess uh, going right back to what I was saying, I was so excited to see that in a poem that is getting back to, you know, again, those kind of like core questions of like, Will anyone remember me? Will any of this work will be remembered? Will anyone care about me? And I think that's all kind of just been on my mind a lot lately. Um, I've been doing some sort of like reflective writing um, okay. to kind of help me out with uh, the sort of slump I've been in as a writer, I think. And one of the questions I have been like working at towards is like, why, why am I doing this? What the hell do I want to get out of this? Um, why does this matter to me? And... You know, kind of just reconciling that there is this long, long old pull of of wanting one to like communicate something about myself to people. Um, you know, that I find very hard to do on a regular basis. I, I think I'm someone who, you know, uh I'm trying to remember if it's my uh astrological sign or my Enneagram or my Myers-Briggs, <laughs> um, you know, but one of those, if not all of them point to that, like my, you know, like one of my deep, like motivating things is this like desire to be understood. Um, and that like, I really okay. hate being misunderstood. Um, which is one of those things, like I read that in whichever one of these things was talking about and trying to define my personality. Um, uh, it just, it resonated really, really strongly. And so that's just like kind of like come up a lot in my kind of recent reflecting and then seeing in this poem that kind of like last idea and ending on that. And, you know, the way that it's kind of silly to want people to care in that particular way. And also it's really normal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Cause yeah, I think there's a lot of the desire to be published desire for someone to like my work that I can like step back enough and be like, that's not that important, you know? Um, yeah. But also that's still a desire and I still want, it and I'm still going to work towards it, I guess. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, too. I think your desire to be understood thing is um, makes a lot of sense. Definitely makes a lot of sense with me. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I, yeah, I think that's a fair, especially, I, I don't know if, if this is a little bit with you, too, where, like, a lot of writers are, you know, awkward in conversation or whatever. It's right. just like, man, I just, I right. just want to get my thoughts right. And yeah. At least have it recorded that I got my thoughts right once, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it is interesting. The um, that whole immortalized things in poetry concept mm-hmm. that uh, I think it was a Shakespeare, Marlowe, Keats, one of one of one of the people you read in high school. One of those guys said something like that in like a like a one of those like old timey and English dudes trying to get laid poems. So he writes like a like a like a love poem and says something like I'll immortalize your name in poetry or something like that. Right, right. And I I remember when I read that when I was like seventeen or whatever, really that really appealing to me and like 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 the whole the Ozymandias thing um, of look upon right. my works and jump. Um, and I've I've really uh, I feel like for me come a, come a long way with that where like really my my biggest goals my desire my desire to be published is for hopefully somebody else enjoys this too. And it just mm-hmm. makes someone's day better. Like, or makes right. someone think differently. Uh, I don't want to do mm-hmm. like someone's day better. That's a little too saccharine. Like I, I take my work seriously. Right. But if, if someone reads me beyond my death, I don't know if that's quite as important to me as it used to be. Whereas mm-hmm. like, I want to mm-hmm. just be like in the same way I enjoy cooking food for people. I want people to read mm-hmm. my books. I um, love that is where I'm at with it, where it's just like, right. and you know, I want, you know, I, I, there's also some shit like, I want my son to be proud of me and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, right. Uh, um, like I, I told him a while ago, you know, like, you, you know, I write books, right. But I don't have a book to show him. Um, yeah. Right. And he just kind of like looked at me and was like, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm four. Who cares? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's, it's it, it for me. It is mostly like just like I just think that the the literary scene is cool. I think reading books are cool, and I want to be part of that. You know, right, um, right, is where I've settled on it. But that's after like decades of reflection and thinking about what you know being remembered after death means to me, and and mm-hmm. think about thinking about what like even the concept of legacy means and stuff like that. And, right. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know how. I don't know how much I want to be a famous writer anymore so much as I just want to be like uh, 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 <laughs> people to say the, the the world's a little bit better because those books exist, <laughs> you know? For sure. Like, even For if sure. it's a, a modicum of a degree, like that right. sort of thing. Um, well, I think it's funny too. But yeah, it's, um, it's a weird journey for everybody. Absolutely. I think it's really funny because uh, I'm remembering too that similar idea of, of Shakespeare, whoever. Um, but in the contemporary world, it is really funny to want to be like immortalized through poetry um, because. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, we know that's not happening. That's <laughs> you know, not actually going to happen. No. But I, I, I love that too of thinking of, you know, yeah, of when I do reflect a lot on kind of the work of, of being a poet, of the people that I've met and been able to connect with is so much more important, I think, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is, like you said, it, it, it would be such a thrill, you know, to have more ways to, you know, to participate in this world um, and to have, and to be part of any conversation and have anyone look at the work and be excited about it. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, there's much like smaller ways to kind of hit that same desire. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I don't know. We, what we just had our... anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, I, I think you're onto something. I mean, the especially the connecting with people thing. Mm-hmm. We just had the five year anniversary of Cotton Xenomorph, right? And reflecting on like what that group of people means to me. Yeah, and you know, credit you and this podcast for introducing him to me. And just like, I kind of feel like I've just like found my my people. You know, obviously, yeah. I, I have a lot of friends in my personal life, and I have like a family that loves me and stuff like that. But right. like, in terms of like the work I do, the like literary work mm-hmm. I do, I feel like I've like found my people, and that that found found like a home. You know, and that that that's right. a good feeling. Um, just like I, I don't know, I always have like memories of like my first couple jobs out of college and. Being like, oh yeah, I want to be a writer, and then like, who do you read? And I'd say who I read, and like, no one I worked with had heard of those people and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that to like be like, oh, look at my illiterate coworkers or whatever. I'm into weird shit, is what I'm saying. And then to be like, have you know, other people be like, oh, you like Amy Bender too? Cool, you know, right. like it, right. it, that, that that's a nice feeling, you know. Absolutely. Um, actually, Chloe and I were just talking the other day about the uh, the Roger Ebert saying. Um, make sure you, you marry someone who likes the same movies as you. <laughs> which I've come to kind of believe um, just because movies are the ultimate, like unwind after a long day thing, you know? And if, if your partner doesn't want to watch the same movies as you, like how, how, do, how do you, how do you unwind together? I don't know. That's, that's really good. I've never heard that before. <laughs> wow. We just got into our feelings about, uh, I don't know, legacy, death. Yeah. <laughs> you need to take us to another poem. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, reading about futures this week, so so we're maybe we have a theme here. I like um, <laughs> so yeah, my poem this week is from Anais Duplan's uh, Black Space on the po- Poetics of an Afro Future, um, which is a really awesome book that I, I spent a good deal of time with for such a, a slim volume. Um, spent a lot of time reading and thinking about it, and and cause it's, it's not a book I I typically am very good at reading. There's a lot of um, uh, philosophy, and uh, I consider myself like uh, the best reader of. I mean, it's better for me to read this this kind of thing in like group settings where other people can talk and I can like listen. Um, mm-hmm. But read it all on my own on a plane, and nice. um, as soon as I read this poem, um, I. Snap the photo. I yeah, I can see I'm on a plane, reading this poem with uh, my my kids. Uh, Nuffle Bunny by Mo Willems book underneath it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, this, this book is is a is a book I don't typically read, and, and therefore has like stuck in my brain a lot. I love it. So this is a poem though entitled Leah Gilliam Sapphire and the Slave Girl, 1995, 1820, um, and I. Real quick before I start, I'm sort of like you. I haven't done enough of my homework on the book. I've just been reading it. Um, I, I don't know if these are meant to, these poems all have like a person's name in the title. I don't know if they're meant to, if these people are real people or if they're characters. I, I really should know. This is, I'm really showing some ignorance here, but like. I did, my, I did my Google. I can help you out here. You did? Oh, awesome. I did. So uh, Leah Gilliam is a, at the very least, filmmaker. Um, okay. Yeah. Because some of these sh- are like talk about um people's he, he he does in the book like describe like people's video art like in, in depth so i wonder yeah, if these and so are it's, it's a short phrases okay. yeah i think so okay. i think so 
So yeah, it's the title of a short film, the year it came out, and then the eighteen twenty is like how long it is. Okay. That 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 is right. something I should know before I come to the podcast. Yeah. So I was just taken taken by the poems. You're taken by um, the poem. You don't always have to do the research. The poem can be stand on its own. Yeah, the poem absolutely stands on its own. Um, yeah. uh, all, all of them in this in this uh, short little section of the book do, and it, it's right after the essay where he talks about a bunch of people's video arts, and it it cool. know, it's, yeah. it's such a cool book. It's such a cool book. Nice. Um, but anyway, Leah Gilliam, Sapphire and the Slave Girl, 1995-1820. Title networks of black people cross the road, a Walgreens and pizzeria. We follow as they walk. Time-marked downtown area, early computers. Welcome to Chicago. It could be New York, Cleveland, Detroit. In each, sections where only black people live like this. Sapphire, or the many people who represent her, changes into a suit in an alleyway. In a blonde wig, in a blonde wig hides from sight from behind a wall. From TV and radio, the first black male, close up, melted down. He is brushing his hair. There are things that are facts because nothing makes sense otherwise. A part of you will always remember the transgression, inevitable buildings, bold movements. At a table, as a man asks, is it safe? Have you ever received a call on your wrist? She gets dressed in the bathroom. Since Sapphire came to London, she learned to pass for white, the first Negro of high school age to enter a school after it, after it had been integrated, many whites shouting epithets. She refuses to say anything to the reporter. Minute 14, title, Open Spaces. Black woman, as white man says, what's important is for the space to feel closed. I think I feel a lot of kind of your similar thoughts about, uh, you know, how to read a poem like this, you know, kind of where this fits in with what I normally read. But you got to tell me why this poem. You said it stood out. You said you've been doing work with it. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that the the, the reason I screen grabbed it and and sent it to you right away probably is the last line that as Mm -hmm. a black woman, as white man says, what's important is for the space to feel closed. Um, is just such a such a zinger um, mm-hmm. and such a way white people think about spaces a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But um, uh, you know, as I went back with it, I you know I was just struck by the by the movement. Um, you know, it's the, the words are all over the page, but also just like the number of cities and the sort of the the um, not universality, but shared threads of experience in mm-hmm. any one of these cities. You know, we don't see Sapphire going to London. We just get sent Sapphire came to London, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, all that movement and all that mass media like TV and radio, but like still the same sort of situations. Um, right. Uh, for black people. Um, one other thing that stuck out of me about this book, um, Hanifa Durkwee blurbed on the back. This book is a, it's something to the effect of this book is a useful reminder that the future will have black people in it. Um, mm which always like, which, which like really stuck out to me and like, like was with me with every page I read. Right. And when we think of like futuristic stuff, we think of 
Star Trek, you know, and like space mm-hmm. and, 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 and society expanding and stuff like that. And like, there's a whole thing I've been kind of obsessed with over the last year of like what happens to everybody left behind on earth. And like that, that poem Whitey's on the moon and, um, uh, just the, 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 what do lives look like? We don't, uh, you know, like COVID showed us that like that amount of death can be a real loss on a societal level. And like that amount of like humanity migrating to space, if it goes like however Elon Musk wants it to or whatever right. is like a profound Oof. loss for the planet. Um, yeah. and profound loss, not for those left behind, not just like, you know, losing family and friends or whatever, but just like a, the profound loss of like, I don't know, half your city leaving or, you know, whatever it ends up being mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know, like, and then the, the, this poem, not necessarily this, this poem isn't particularly futuristic, but like having that ghost over the reading of this poem right. and with the, with the universal threads of experience from city to city to city and like kind of the same, same thing over and overness of this poem. Yeah. All that kind of <sighs> has been working on me since, since Absolutely. the initial getting blown away. Right. Um, right. Now I love how it's like, gosh, so much can be packed into this poem and you know, it's working so associatively like that. Um, and cause I've been trying to kind of, yeah, follow like how this poem would have been written, you know, kind of once, once I settled on like that, I, I agree with you. I think it's ekphrastic and I think it's, it's, you know, it's probably describing a lot of what happens in this short film, but how like from that mode you know, there's so much room for these associations to come in and to, you know, give life and give meaning intentional and unintentional. Otherwise, um, yeah, you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the the short answer is definitely no. I'm trying to think of what I have. You, yeah, I used to, I, I have a lot and I would like, to, I haven't for a while and I would like to right. do it again. Um, but uh, I think the uh, like the first year out of college, my mom was visiting, and mm-hmm. um, we went to the art institute. And right. I had a student ID, and they're like, "Do you want to?" Because you know, first year after graduation, I'm not giving up yeah. the student discount stuff. Absolutely. And not. my mom was like, "Hey, you want me to just buy you a student membership? It'll cover the tickets for today." So I had a year of membership to the art institute. Oh, love it. And I would just go there all the time and just write poems. Um, right. And after a while, you are like, "Am I just describing the images on the page?" And mm-hmm. then like, I, I don't know. I got. I, I lost my confidence in it, but I had some stuff that sure. I liked for sure. Right. And I would like to do it again. Right. And I've done it with movies too. It's fun to do it okay. with movies, but uh, <laughs> also hard not to just describe the plot. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I think that's what kind of my, my feelings are is sometimes is, yeah, is when writing it, I've seen myself do something when I'm like, ah, this, you know, what are you really doing? Right. Um, right. Uh, and, it's interesting, you know, how much it almost helps to have something that your reader might not have seen or have access to. I think um, that's a, I think that makes for a more interesting poem than just being like, you know, whatever Van Gogh or Monet or whatever. Right, right. I was thinking particularly when you said movies, I, I, I don't remember when or what it was. I remember like going to a reading and someone read a bunch of poems, you know, about um, some sort of horror movie or something. And, and like they just weren't really doing it for me because they felt so you know, referential to something that already held a lot of meaning for me that held like a lot of like certainty. Um, yeah. I never want to rely on a secondary. Like I, I feel like I know sort of, 
I, I know the vibe you're talking about and like if, right. if, if like a poem is making reference to a movie and like say people laugh or something right else, but it's like you're laughing because of the movie not because of the poem kind of, right yeah. right i mean it's so funny because this takes us so far from this poem but i i have recently settled on like one of my least favorite poetic moves that i've seen kind of recently is this like using lines or titles or jokes from a movie or something as kind of like the punchline in a poem and just like, ah, I, I, mm. people will like it. People react. Um, but it always rubs me kind of the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, taking us far from the poem because I mean, for me, that's part of the, my experience of this poem, um, you know, is first read, honestly having to do like a lot of building and trying to figure out where I was, what's going on. Like you said, it's, you know, we're welcomed to Chicago, but also it could be in these other cities. So now I'm kind of getting flashes of different possibilities. And then towards the end, we're in London. Um, and I think once I accept that I'm not going to be quite so grounded in a poem on my second read, I can be a little bit more at ease and be like, all right, what am I getting? And then, as I said, I, you know, did the quick Google. I've got like a single still image from the short film that kind of helps, um, but still it feels like I'm having to do a lot of meaning making on my own, which is also fun. Yeah, which, and I, uh, like we're talking about, you know, I don't, I would like to see this short film, but I don't feel like I, I, I need to. I feel like this poem is right. giving me, giving me something. Um, right, absolutely. Uh, and, and, the and you know, as evidenced by the fact that I didn't even fucking know it was Necrasis until you told me <laughs> that the poem stands alone. The poem's a good fucking poem. It's, right. you know. Right. But you're going to have to, you have to show me a little bit about how it's a good poem by showing me where the move is. The move for me is the is the end, uh, definitely. Um, <laughs> okay, <sorry>. especially <laughs> and I have a, I have a stronger I have a stronger take on it now because as we've been talking about it and sort of talking about this expansive um, like the the number of cities referenced and stuff like that and the the uh, talk about like the, the the it could be anywhere of all uh, of it <laughs> all and then to but the, these are all Chicago, New York, Cleveland, Detroit, um, even London. Those are all like Western, you know, American American European cities with cold winters um you know we're not talking about like los angeles or san diego here um mm -hmm. i can i can picture places from all those cities that could be confused for any one any one of any number of the other ones and then it, it smash cuts right there at the end that the i don't know if we can call it a turn but we've been talking about turns let's call it a turn the last stanza there well it's the first negro stanza break of high school age to enter a school after it had been integrated without a place to ground that or anything like that or, or any other physical description I mean, I'm immediately taken to Arkansas and Alabama, um, mm. and mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, the Ruby Bridges images. Um, mm -hmm. But those are famous images, and those are famous cases and stuff like that. But it, it doesn't mean it wasn't like that in other places too. You know, there are the Boston busing riots after integration, and um, you know, probably tons of other stuff. I'm just like either ignorant of or or or, or not coming to me right now. Um, mm -hmm to smash cut to that where like the, the experience it, it, to me, what it kind of says is like the experience of, you know, the black diaspora in the Western world uh, is almost always going to be rooted in the, uh, in the, um, the, the slave trade of the American South, you know, and you have like the, mm. um, you think about the great migration and like how, how a lot of these cities got their black people was from people moving from from the south and into places like new york cleveland detroit chicago and then there even being a little bit of that in 
in in London too, in in Europe, because you know Europe initiated the slave trade. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it's that it's that smash cut at the end, um, and the 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 just dagger of a school after it had been integrated, and then as a white man says, what's important is for the space to feel closed, right? Um, which is just just what a way to put that, you know? What yeah. a what a dagger of a line. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I'm also really taken uh, just on on the, the end of the first page, buildings, bold movements at a table as a man asks, is it safe? You know, that feels really loaded and powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, like what's immediately implied is that it's not safe. Um, right. You know, someone has to ask that. And, and, you know, combining that with everything that you do see is happening, you know, I, again, don't quite have enough information um but sapphire or the many women who represent her changes it to a suit in an alleyway and a blonde wig hides um you know i'm assuming that this movie um you know has at least doing some work with gender here um you know possibly with transness um and you know yeah it's like there's a lot hanging over this poem there's a lot that's being said and also not said um, yeah in a way that's just like Whew. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, you're 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 mostly reminding me as I read this that uh, Anais is a, a poet that has been recommended many times, and and I think what what comes to that recommendation is like this is a, a poet uh, where the the rigor of the work is very apparent, you know, and someone who's yeah. really really brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, the last essay in this book is um, mm-hmm. him talking about um, how long it, it took to write the book and how difficult it was. And mm. uh, the last essay is, is being written because one of the people he interviewed for the book declined to be interviewed. And I, if I was smart enough to have the book in front of me right now, I could reference it. But I can't remember if he said like he started the book before he transitioned mm. or was writing it over the course of taking hormone therapy. I, I, I wish I could remember, but um, just talking about like yeah, there there is just a lot going into the book, and it's it's a compact, you know, like mm-hmm. sub two hundred pages, um, you know, dense. Like there's a lot in there, but there's also right. I feel like a lot poignantly not in there um, mm. uh, too, and just like almost like a, like an overflowing of information, emotion, um, questions about identity, questions about gender and race, and. Yeah, that you're saying there's a lot hanging over this and there's a lot said and unsaid, I, I think resonates with me with the entire book, too. Cool, yeah. In a way, I think it's cool. In a way that yeah. is like, in a way that is me saying, go read this book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know, that that hits at me with poems, but I think also, yeah, with the kind of the reading that is exciting me in general right now is I want stuff that's going to, not necessarily give me full complete answers that's just gonna like sit with me and like poke at me and prod at me and make me yeah. think more you know like that that rules yeah we love yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it's it's a it's a part of why i love um flash fiction so much is that i feel like mm. it's 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 akin to poetry in, in the way that like you can sit there with the story and you're like i was thinking there was going to be more story and then you just kind of get a sit with what you're given and that's right that's a fun reading experience for me absolutely Oof. all right so speaking of things that we're thinking of hanging over us uh yeah. what's going on for you uh beyond the poem 
Um, I guess I was um, I was doing so. This is this is a really um, kind of workman's answer for it, but uh, I was doing stuff for the blog for the newsletter, and yeah. um, uh, they had just announced a um, an Afrofuturism exhibit at the National African American History Museum in, in DC. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it starts next year, I think. Cool. And I was like, oh, I'd, I would I would love to go to that. I was like, I got I got that book. I got this book like two months ago. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, I've just been waiting for the, for the time to read it for the, for the free time or whatever. And I was like, you know what, if I, if, if, if I, I need links for my Friday links column, I'm on my blog, mm-hmm. I'm going to mention the, the Afrofuturism exhibit. I should just read this book and then talk about it for the blog. Right. And, right. you know, I mean, if you're, if you're reading something so that you can write about it on a blog, like that's not, you know, uh, it, it's not like I'm doing whatever. serious criticism over there or whatever, but like it, it, it was, it forced me to pick up the book and then, and, and, right. and engage with it. And I was so glad I did because I ended up doing so on a much, um, deeper level than just like, okay, I picked up this book to see what it was about. Let's, let's see what it's about. No, I picked up this book to see what it was about. And it really, really grabbed me and dragged me in. Hell yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then further beyond the page, like I, I have been thinking about, like I said, about a year ago, for for about a year, I've been thinking about, like, you know, if the if the, the what space travel and and, and climate change and the mm-hmm. future of the planet looks like and means for for people who stay on the earth, because I, I just know if space travel is like a thing tomorrow, I'm going to be the ones one of the ones who stays on Earth. I don't want to leave mm-hmm. Earth, um, right? Uh, you know, once they get like a a, a um, uh, an all-inclusive resort or whatever on, on Mars, you know, I could take a weekend trip or something, but I, I don't, I don't want to not live on earth. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, yeah, and I've been thinking about this with, um, in collection with, a in conjunction with one of the collections of short stories I'm working on cool. that's sort of evolving into a, um, a meditation on these anxieties on, on what happens mm. to, uh, what happens to the earth if people leave, what happens to the earth as climate change happens and, yeah. um, you know, gaps in, um, what technology offers people who can afford it versus, right. um, you know, working people. Um, that's cool. So I think that's, that's really, there's a cool connection there between, you know, kind of like people being quote unquote left behind by like space travel and that comparative left behind of like people that are going to be left behind because of climate change, you know, yeah, like yeah. In, in different ways being left behind, but like, you know, the, I don't know. I was talking to a friend who lives in uh, Utah recently, and uh, they're they're very freaked out about what's going to happen when uh, the Great Salt Lake dries out because it's going to. Um, oh man! And uh, yeah. it's yeah, it would be very bad. And yeah, just that, like that's one of those ones. I like I know this big picture, but sometimes you need those like a little bit more immediate ones to like kind of recognize because it's already happening. But yeah, of you know, some people will be able to leave and go somewhere else. Right. Other people I mean, will not, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And that's already very be? much true of like most of the global South too. Like right. Pakistan right. is already flooding like uncontrollably all the time. Right. You know, right. Um, uh, Miami is actively sinking and they're still building condos. You know, um, Miami's not the global <laughs> South, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Right. Uh, the Maldives is having conferences like underwater too, because right. they're like, we're going to be underwater soon. This is like, is, is the visual making you all take any action, you know? Um, uh, and just like, yeah, the movement of people, the movement migration of people 
as climate change worsens and as space travel happens. Like that's something yeah. I'm really apprehensive about. And um, I don't know the literary circles I run in. I see submission calls for like speculative fiction magazines and stuff like that. And like, this is all I'm speculating about. It's not very fun. Um, <laughs> this, this is all I'm speculating, speculating about these days. Right. <laughs> oh, um, so we do end up back into a bleak, bleak, yeah. dark space. Yeah. Wow. And, 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 but you know, and, and with that, with that obsession, uh, here's a, here's something I think is a hopeful note. The Hanif blurb on the back of the book, the, the future is going to have black people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, the future is going to have, you know, uh, we 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 should we should make that a a line of thinking for people. The future is going to yeah. have this type of people in it. The future is going to have this type right. of people in it. Right. Uh, you know, the current moral panic over trans people. The future is going to have trans people in it, whether the conservatives right. want it or not. Right. Um, they can't. I, I don't want to say us because I'm not trans, but they, they 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 can't they can't stop the movement once once people know that mm-hmm. trans people exist and there's hormone therapy or whatever you're, if it feels like you're getting more trans people, it's just because that's, that's because people who previously didn't think they could come out can now, now feel like they can come out. Like that's right. what the future is going to look like. That's what the future I want to look like is where, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, baby. The future yeah. that Chris Corley wants. <laughs> it's a, it's a good one. Make me, uh, make me it think. Now, <laughs> uh, oh there we go. <laughs> Do not give me any responsibilities beyond this podcast and my books. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, with with that, I guess should we should we should we move to basketball? I don't know. I don't know yeah. if we can get much of better. <laughs> oh, there's no clear transition to basketball. <laughs> there's no clear transition. I don't quite have a question. Right um, you know, something I've been kicking around lately is it, it does, if we're, we're talking about futures and we're talking about um, legacies and stories we're going to tell after, after people are, are dead and gone and stuff, that seems to be the theme of this podcast. Um, it feels like we're watching an aesthetic revolution in the NBA right now. Okay. Uh, and I mean, beyond like, I mean, beyond like the three point revolution, I feel like we're watching like the skilled big man revolution, like mm-hmm. really um, go into heights. I, I, I didn't think like, like obviously Webb and Yama is insane to watch. Bol Bol has been falling out all season. And that's like, that's a, what a seven foot two person, a seven foot three person, just like dribbling mm-hmm. like guards and shooting threes and like pull up threes, like, like, like not yeah. catch and shoot, not pick and pop like pull threes and i guess here's here's the here's the question i'm not gonna ask uh uh what what you um you know what you think the 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 role of the the big man in the future is but as a person who likes to 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 do the dirty work in in basketball who likes to to bang around down low and box out and stuff um how do you feel about the way you're seeing big men on your screen these days like like it's devastating it's devastating it's terrible (laughs) <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> in, in 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 the in the what the past twelve or so years, I got to watch a short armed power forward who plays down low, <laughs> almost take my team all the way to go completely extinct. In the in the it's, course of his career, yeah, it's devastating. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the, yeah, the, Blake... the power forward doesn't exist anymore. It's so upsetting. <laughs> Bad I question, I guess. <laughs> What what, what oh. would Luis Scola do in this league? What would Luis Scola is do? There Luis Scola is a smart player. There's, there's always room for oh, Luis yeah. Scola. Oh yeah, he was part of that. Wasn't he part of that 22 win streak Rockets team? That, that was it 22 or 27 wins that that Rockets I don't remember how many wins it was, but he was on that team. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. McGrady. Tracy McGrady got hurt. Yao got hurt, and then they right. like roll off like, like Chuck total. Hayes, a six six Chuck Hayes as their oh, that's starting right. Chuck center. Hayes. Also, mm-hmm. I don't know what he would do in the league. <laughs> He'd be he'd keep being Chuck T- Chuck Hayes, I guess. I don't know. He would be, yeah. He'd, he'd, uh, figure, he'd figure out a three point shooter and just be another PJ Tucker. I feel like for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, you know, it's. I do agree. I think the league is better to watch now than it was twenty years ago. The league is better to watch with like space, like that's Just it's been incredible. Um, yeah, but there is a. A type of player, mostly a type of player who can't shoot. Uh, that's just. <laughs> and you're not you're not talking about a guy with like post moves who like. Claire, you're not bemoaning the lot basket. You're you're not you're not saying you miss like Shaq backing someone down and then like drop stepping them. You are bemoaning the loss of Horace Grant and the dunker spot for Shaq to pass to. I mean, I am a little bit sad that we don't have a Shaq, but also, yeah, no, the the power forward has always been my favorite position. Um, you know, and the, the, the pure power forward who is, who is not actually a rim protector, who also doesn't take outside shots, who also can't really dribble, who mostly <laughs> is there to uh, set screens, and rebound, uh, put backs. Where's that guy? I love that guy. <laughs> I am very pro non-skilled players being in the NBA. <laughs> And like not the most athletic guys. I love that. I love that your your favorite player is the archetype that is just the least appealing. <laughs> uh, you know, for those of us who are not very athletic, not very skilled, we needed players to look up to. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. You, you like seeing yourself in a player. I like seeing what I I, I still think I could be, even though if I, you know, <laughs> even if the world is firmly and roundly told me over and again that I cannot be. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm coping pretty hard. I mean, I'm finding new types of players uh, that I like. I think I still like a kind of undersized big man. Um, I want there to be more Draymond Greens. You know, I mean, maybe it could take yeah. a little bit less of his personality, but, like, I mean, that skill set of a, yeah. you know, undersized forward sort of does it all. Yeah, Bam out of bio. Love Bam. I'm so mad that, you know, I feel like every time it comes up, it's people being like, it'd be great if he could score some more. And it's like, well, maybe he doesn't need to do that. No, <laughs> he does everything else well. <laughs> he already puts up like 14 or 15 a game, I think. And I, don't, I feel like he's so much more valuable, like, running the offense through him and, like, like, like facilitating and stuff like that. Like He did drop 30 happened, on the Clippers last night. Yeah, I mean, he can score. It's great right. that he does score. But I don't, right. I don't know if that's something he needs to be asked to do more. I think, like, his game is... A very complete game. Right, right, right. He's doing a lot, and there's a lot of players who don't do very much on that team. So, yeah, maybe don't put it all on him. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that 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 archetype you're talking about the, uh, the 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 undersized center who's who's pretty skilled, but like not um, yeah, like the the 
Bam, Draymond, what everyone wants Ben Simmons to be. I really right. want Ben Simmons to like. Right. Uh, Aaron a- Gordon is also supposed to like fill in this type, and sure. apparently he's kind of doing it. I have not watched the Nuggets. I've just heard he's having a really great season. Yeah, I've heard uh, that too. Uh, noted homophobe Aaron Gordon, but uh, I've heard, oh, I've heard gosh, that too. Oh gosh, I didn't know uh, that. that um, he, uh, I, I, I do like the Nuggets setup of having like him and Michael Porter Jr. How they're both kind of like small forwards, but not, and kind of like power forwards, but not. Right. Right. Um, uh, I, I, th- I think that's that's a a fun fun geometry, especially with with the way they have a you know who their center is. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that archetype. The uh, the the six eight to six nine center who, you know, can can definitely facilitate out of the high post, but it'll still do the. Um, it's still like a strong body type, you know, like a like sure, a, like a muscly, bang around for rebounds kind of guy. I like that right. archetype. Yeah. Right. Well, it's interesting too. Of you know, yeah. As the game changes, how different players have to kind of like find a skill set that works for what physical type of player they are um yeah. it's just like funny as you said i'm thinking about how like a guy like uh harrison barnes makes sense now and he didn't eight years ago yeah you know yeah. Or, or or marvin williams yeah you know absolutely. if he was young in the league he'd be kind of exciting but when he came in the league he was supposed to be athletic and he wasn't yeah, and marvin <laughs> williams like... almost had a better second half of his career as absolutely. like a small ball power forward than like absolutely the first half yeah. of his career was just he was the guy who got drafted over chris paul and darren williams <laughs> And who was supposed to be like a pure small forward, and he just wasn't. Right. Just, um, yeah. It was was not the right. the Raptors with their whole like right a point guard, and then everyone's six foot eight, you know, yeah. six foot nine, whatever. That's is, cool. Is, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. So you may, I think there's a future for the the power forward that, that that you like in this league. If they you maybe have to learn how to like pass too. I mean, they yeah they all they all to be Boris Diaw. Right, Boris Diaw is the is is. is uh, patron saint of my life um, <laughs> yeah there's 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 room for your man bob don't give up hope yet this is we're we're, we're ending on a, on a hopeful note for the future you know we're all just gonna have to keep evolving uh you've got a good 20 jump shot you know i, guess. I don't have a very good jump shot. <laughs> don't give me credit <laughs> i've seen you bank in some 18 footers Layups. That's all I got these days. Uh, well, to find a reason to go to Kansas City. I think AWP is there next year. So, I think that's right. Because when we did have it, it was completely virtual. Um, which means I got to make some plans. I mean, that's a long ways away, but fingers crossed. Yeah. I I, I am I am in in the uh, in the early stages of using you as an excuse to go to AWP next year. There we go. Now we're talking. You and a friend of the show, Stephen. Right. Stephen Prolong. Uh, oh, my. All right. I think I think that's got to be an episode. I think we did it. I think we did an episode. Um, uh, I think uh, I an episode and a little, a little... What was that? I think I even have a title for it. That's pretty cool. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, our music is done by Brendan Johnson, and our art is done by Anne Strickland. And we'll talk to you guys next time.